explore and feast upon Luke chapter 15, 17 through 19. And last week we primarily looked at verse 17 and this week we're going to be blessed to look at primarily verses 18 and 19. And our message is entitled, Cease and Release. Cease and Release. Last week when we were together, we talked about um, wake up. That there's those moments in our lives where we have been sleepy, we have been grouchy, and we have needed something in our life to awaken us to see the condition that we are in. And today I'm still reminded of when an alarm clock goes off, it goes off for a reason. It goes off to start doing something that you weren't doing before the alarm clock went off. So if I was nice in my bed, and if you're one of those people that like a whole bunch of pillows, a whole bunch of covers, and you got it all on top of you, and you are in some deep rim sleeping, and that alarm clock goes off, God is saying to us spiritually, now it is time for you to do something different than what you were doing before the alarm clock went off. Some of us, the alarm clock is going off, but we are not doing anything different when we wake up. You're going to get that one later on. <laughs> Our point this morning is a simple point, but one, as we were even talking about in Sunday school today, could be a sermon that I could preach on for two or three months and still not be done with it. So what you're going to get today is a 25 or 35 message, minute message, but it will be enough that if you are hungry, you will do a little bit more research yourself. So our first point is prodigal repentance. And the word goes, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, when you look at those two verses, you say, how in the world are he going to get a topic, cease and release? But let's begin to break these verses down. And don't miss this first point. He says, I will get up and go to my father. Don't miss that. I will go to him. The first principle of cease and release, last week the prodigal came to his senses. He ceased running from his father. He ceased hiding from his father. He now accepted his father's authority. He now accepted his father's goodness. And when he ceased his insane thinking and behavior, his mind was released to see the father for who he truly was. If we see stop doing what we're doing, the father is saying, I'm ready to release some things in your life. 
but I can't release it till you first come to me. And when you come to me, I'm going to tell you how to come to me. And when you come to me, you got to come broken. When you come to me, you got to be able to surrender all to him. When you come to him, you got to recognize that he's in charge and is not coming to have a conversation about who's in charge. And he says, if you do it my way, I'm going to release See, some of us want the releasing without the ceasing. Whenever we cease our sinful thinking, our sinful behavior, God releases his gifts of forgiveness, his gift of healing, his gift of repentance. But you can't get the gifts if you don't cease. Now the prodigal is willing to be a hired man. He's willing to go back home, not as a son, but as a hired man. Now the Greek word translated hired, hired servants is mythios. It refers to day laborers, the lowest of all workers on the economic scale at that time. The lowest. In the first century culture, that kind of hired servant held a much lower status than a slave. Slaves were supplied with living quarters, clothing, and all the necessities of life. Many of those slaves were trusted bond servants. They might even be put in charge of an important business affair. They were still classified as a slave. Well, where'd you come up with that? Nehemiah was a slave. He was a cupbearer. He wasn't a hired worker because a hired worker was lower than a slave. Day laborers were society's most desperately poor. They had no master continually caring for them. They were on their own. They lived as best as they could on whatever they could earn from day to day. Many were homeless and unskilled. They were paid a very meager wage. Wage was normally determined at the start of the workday. And they were told under the law how much they should pay. But the prodigal remembered that his fathers paid hired servants, even though they were the lowest ones around, their, his father paid them more than they needed because they had leftovers. So he says, yes, my father has hired servants, but even the hired servants, they got more bread than they can eat. Mm. His father showed kindness to people by doing not only the minimum of what the Old Testament law and social custom required, but more. See, most of us want to do the minimum. Now some of us are even open enough if we go to an interview and we almost tell them in essence, what's the least amount of work I have to do not to get fired? So, so, so if they say you need to do four things today, you're going to do those four. I ain't doing five because I'm only getting paid for. This father is saying, I know what the law is saying. I'm supposed to give my day laborer, but I'm going to even give him more. He's saying, man, my father was even nicer than what the law required. Mm. The prodigal had been humbled, not only by his circumstances, but more importantly, recognition of how he had disrespected his father. The prodigal had ceased his insane ways and was ready to return to his father. He had already sought forgiveness even before actually physically returning to his father. 
He has forgiveness even before he sees his father because he's already asked for forgiveness in his head and heart. We have gotten forgiveness for God sometimes before we even come, quote, in his presence. We're going to dig on that a little later, too. The prodigal had reached those low levels. Now, we remember the other characters in this story were the Pharisees and the scribes. Their concept, the notion that someone like the prodigal could ever find any kind of forgiveness or redemption was beyond their comprehension. Because the prodigal had sinned beyond forgiveness, he had sunken so low, there was no chance for him to be forgiven. Now, none of us are Pharisees and scribes, right? But has there ever been a person in your life that they done done some horrible things? They might be doing some horrible things now, but they come to you and they say, I've asked God for forgiveness and I am forgiven and I am a different person. And what do some of us say? Prove it. Show it to me. That's what these Pharisees and scribes are thinking. How is that son going to be forgiven? How is he going to be able to repent? The horrible things that he's done, as bad as he's been, he's not worthy to be forgiven. And some of us know we don't want that standard for us. We done done some horrible things and we just, oh, thank you, Lord, that you're long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, that you're forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that. But now when it's somebody else that done done some horrible thing, you now think that forgiveness ain't for them. You think they can't be redeemed. You think they can't be changed because they haven't met your test. But I ain't talking to nobody here today. Because we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't think like that. We wouldn't talk like that. But that's the reason why God got it in here. Because he said, you're going to see yourself not only in that prodigal, you're going to see yourself in that Pharisee and that scribe. Because right. if we're honest, all of us have had those little moments where we thought somebody wasn't worthy to be forgiven. Amen. You'll even hear things like, man, God can even save somebody that bad. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Who do you think you are? He can even save that person out of the gutter. He didn't have to reach that low for me. Okay. You just didn't have Delbert Denny in your life to tell you you was in the gutter right with the person. <laughs> you, you surround your people around people telling you how good you was. Well, I ain't that, I'm not that foolish. I know I came out of the same gutter. I came out of the same darkness. I came out of the same pit. And there is no another classification for people I always was in the church. I don't care where you always was. The church wasn't always in you. For the Pharisees, they could not comprehend. So now we get to this concept, well, what is repentance? Repentance. The Greek word for repentance throughout the New Testament is metanoia. And it's literally meaning, speaks of a change of mind, a reversal in one's thinking, entirely new attitude towards God. That's a beginning definition. So the beginning of it is going to deal with the mind. But with true repentance, it's not just going to be a thinking. It's going to be a behavior as well. Repentance. The church integrity problem is a misconception that we can add Christ to our lives, but not subtract sin. When I accept the Lord and when I truly repent, it's going to be a change in belief and it's going to be a change in behavior. Amen. 
I can't say I repented and I'm still doing the same behavior. I can't say I hit the alarm clock and now I'm doing something different than what I was doing before the alarm went off. See, some of us are doing things and the alarm goes off. We say, man, this was wrong for me to do this. I shouldn't be doing that. And then the next day, the alarm clock is going off and you're doing the same behavior. Guess what? You have not repented. All you've done is acknowledge what I'm doing is sinful. And in the church for a long time, we done lowered the standard so much, we're doing somersaults when somebody confessed. And God is saying, that ain't but part of the story. You get a 50%. And when I went to school, 50% was an F. But now we're living in a world, 50% is passing. Because the world's going to constantly keep lowering the standard, lower and lower, and hoping the people can meet the low standard. And they don't realize, no matter how low you set it, they're going to still not meet it. Repentance. If we put off repentance another day, we have one day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. So when I'm confessing I'm not supposed to be doing this and then I don't repent, now I got to repent the day for what I did yesterday and now I got one less day to repent for the things I'm going to do the next day. God is saying it's supposed to be a sense of urgency. When I know I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing, I'm not supposed to be saying anything, I'll change someday. So you're really honestly saying, I know what I'm doing is displeasing in you, God. I know what I'm doing to you is sinful. I know what I'm doing is hurting you, but it ain't that urgent. I'll get to it one day. But still release your blessings. Still release them. Still forgive me. Still heal me. Still give me love. Still give me forgiveness. And God is saying, you ain't finished the test. What about the part that you repent? Oh, no, we, I ain't ready for that yet. Not ready yet. But I'm thinking about it. Thinking about it. Repentance is much more than a simple or superficial change of opinion about something. More than a mere mind change or an intellectual exercise. Genuine repentance always demonstrates itself in the brokenness of the sinner's self-will. That's why you, for me, that's why it's not my job to tell somebody else they're sorry. And as parents, we're guilty of it. Now, if they real little, and when I say real little, five, six, seven. Once they get seven or eight and they puffing and vaping, they are already now able to say things for themselves. Okay, so at that point, I'm not pushing a 10 or 12 year old, you go say you're sorry for what you did. Go say what you're sorry for. What you did. And the kid is saying, I ain't sorry about nothing. You go say what you're sorry about, I'm going to whoop your butt. Really, you're really teaching them something. They need to be sorry because their will has been broken that they've done something that is disobedient to God. If there is no brokenness, there's not going to be any repentance. They might lip service and say, I'm sorry. But that will ain't been broken, so they said, you caught me that time. The next time, I'm just going a different direction, because I'm still going to do what I want to do. When that child tells you, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, that's the self-will that hasn't been broken. And that's not my job to break it. It's God's job to break it. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Repentance, it involves a whole new way of looking at life. Repentance is not a trite or temporary mood shift 
but a powerful, penetrating, soul-shattering, life-altering, attitude-changing, wholesale U-turn. Repentance. It's much easier to repent of sins that we committed than to repent of those we intend to commit. I need to repent of the behavior that I'm doing today. And if I repent today, that means I don't do it anymore. It's not in your Bible, but it's in Yoda. Yoda said, don't try, do. <laughs> so I could care less you trying. Because you don't think if you surrender all, God can take it away like that. But if you trying in your own strength, I'm going to stop doing this in my own strength. I'm going to stop thinking in this way in my own way. Then you're going to constantly be a trier. And people might sit there and clap and say, good job, you trying. I don't think God is sitting up there saying, good job, you trying. He's saying, you should have depended on me and I would have released you from it. And you would have ceased doing it. We got enough sense sometimes with human parents. We know sometimes our parents tell us what they want us to do and what they want not us to do. We got enough sense. Man, my life is going to go a lot easier if I, don't do what, if I do what they tell me to do and don't do what I'm not supposed to do. We ain't got to be a rocket science to realize that. So if we can realize that on an earthly parent, why in the world can we not realize that on a heavenly parent? Because the will ain't been broken. The will still wants to do what it wants to do. One person put it this way. Repentance. Many people use mighty thin thread when mending their ways. Now, some of the young people might say, what's mending? Because like, the young people, like when they get a hole in something, they just go buy something else. Or nowadays, they buy stuff with holes in it. Okay, but when, but when, when we were growing up, when we got a hole, you didn't want to even tell your mom and dad you got a hole because you knew what was coming next, the patch. And I'm like, I don't want a patch, I don't want a patch, I don't want a patch. I don't want a, ain't no hole in there, it's all right, it's all right. No, go get my needle and thread. I'm going I'm to get that, I'm going to take you up right now. Some of us remember that. Remember that. Well, some of us, that mending is we mend with very thin thread. We mend our behavior to change it, but it ain't really a deep change, and it's just a superficial change. And as soon as that opportunity comes back, we find ourselves right back in that same behavior that we just said we repented of and we had turned away from. I ain't going to lie no more. I ain't going to gossip no more. I ain't going to backbite no more. And then the next opportunity comes, you might be having a nice holy week, and that week you don't backbite. But the next week something went wrong in your life and you ain't feeling holiness like you did the week before and you back to backbite. You're, you're at your job or you're at church and somebody starts gossiping and you used to be or you had a holy week and you say, I don't want to hear none of that because that's gossiping. Now you're having a bad week and your life is all jacked up. What what you say? What happened? What happened? What happened? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I knew, I knew something was wrong with that person. Oh, I knew that something Repentance versus remorse. Repentance. Diligently seeking God, the Father, after we once tried to hide from him, we now diligently seek him. See, the, the prodigal was diligently trying to get away from his father. He got his inheritance. As soon as he got that inheritance, he was like, it says, the next day or a few days, he was gone. He couldn't get away from the father quick enough. Even though he know he just told his father, I wish he were dead, give me my money. 
But now since the repentance has taken place, now he can't wait to get back in his father's presence. Remorse. You got scriptures like Hebrews. You got scriptures like Matthew. You got scriptures like Psalms. In Hebrews 12, 17, it wasn't a sign of repentance. It was a sign of remorse. Because Esau says, found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So it's saying he cried, but God is saying that was not repentance. That was just remorse. I'm sad that I lost something. That ain't repentance. Okay, so, so you lost something and now you're crying. That don't mean that's repentance. That's just remorse. You don't have what you used to have. Mm -mm. Then you got Judas, Matthew 27, 3 and 5. It even says he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver. It did not say he felt repentant because you can't feel repentant. You do repentance. He didn't do that. He felt remorse, and then he hung himself. He said, well, he repented. No, he didn't. He had remorse for what he had done. He did not repent from what he had done. But then you got David in Psalms 51. So they were talking, I think, that in class today. So see you guys be reading my notes before I get there. So Psalms 51. Listen to this person compared to Esau, Judas, and many times ourselves. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. That's somebody not really washing around what they've done. That's not somebody saying everybody else was doing it. That's not saying, oh, I didn't do as bad as somebody else. That's not saying I made a mistake. That's not, he's saying, I have sinned. It is my iniquity. I ain't worried about your iniquity. I'm talking to God about my iniquity. And I'm repenting of that and I'm ready to change my ways. So don't get repentance and remorse mixed up. Remorse, that person realizes they've done something against God, but they don't go to God and acknowledge to God that they've done something wrong and are willing to change. They just try to avoid so sometimes you got somebody who's entangled in whatever sin they're in. They don't want to be around church. <laughs> they don't want to hear a quote from the Bible. It's almost like, I think it was the movie, I didn't see all of the exorcism. You're just putting like water on it, and it's like burning. I told you, I, I'm surprised I didn't get fired from <laughs> the school system. They stuck me one day in the classroom, and I was normally a one-on-one, -on -one, but they stuck me in another. I knew something was up. My little attendant was going up. Because they called me down to the office. And I said, I know I ain't done nothing wrong. I don't think it got me on film. So I said, I don't think I've done anything wrong. So, so, so they said, we got a student that we want you to watch. Then they had me go into a room that's about maybe a fourth of this little corner right here with one little window in it. And there's one student in there. 
Like, you know, I, ain't, I might look stupid. You might think I'm stupid. I ain't that stupid. So I'm going in there, and then this, this kid starts barking. <laughs> ruff, 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 ruff. That's all. So you know, okay. So, so, so you know, they got the right one. They got the crazy one. I'm drinking water and stuff in my little cup, and the guy said, are "You, Mr. Denny?" I said, "Yeah, Mr. Denny." He said, "Are oh, you you from Aruba? Right? You that man, that pastor from Aruba?" I said, "Yeah, I, I was a pastor in Aruba." Um, um, you think that water in your cup is holy water, right? And I said, "Yes, I do." And that starts springing. <laughs> For some reason, the kid liked me. So every time he got in trouble, I see him in the hall. Hey, Miss Denny, how you doing, Miss Denny? Remorse. You don't want to pray. You don't want to read the Bible. You don't want to think about the things of God. Whenever there's going to be repentance, there's going to be certain elements of repentance that we may not like. There's an element of humiliation, embarrassment, shamefulness. But that doesn't matter to those who are ready to truly repent. See, some people say, well, I ain't, I ain't going back home. I wouldn't have been like that prodigal son. Because if I go back home, I know there are going to be people talking about me. People are going to be whispering. People are going to be saying, you ain't no good. You ain't this. You ain't that. I might come back and my father don't even want me to come back. He's saying, I ain't letting none of that bother me. Because with true repentance, I ain't worried about humiliation and embarrassment. Because you know what humiliation and embarrassment is? That's part of your will, self-will. Self-will, son. I ain't going to be made a fool of him. I ain't gonna look. I ain't gonna look stupid. I ain't gonna look like no punk. But that one who says, "I'm going to repent," because that's what God is putting on my heart. I don't care what they say. You got people now. They're using that excuse. Maybe not for our church, but it could be for our church. So I ain't naive enough not to think it could be. I ain't going back to church. Cause that church is full of a lot of hypocrites. Just a whole bunch of them. They're just sitting there. You know, I, I don't even feel comfortable to come back because I know I'm gonna get the stares. I'm gonna get the comments. I'm gonna get the looks. And I tell them all the time, I ain't going to sit here and tell you you might not get them. But if God's telling you this is where you need to be, I care less what you stare. I care less what you say. See, you got to get to that mindset. Unless you get there, you're going to have a hard, rough time. You want to have a hard, you choose it. If I'm doing what God is telling me to do, there ain't nobody on this earth. I'm concerned about what your opinion is. As soon as you start saying, well, I, I do. I am concerned about what you do. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm lying to you if I say I am. So I'm going to just tell you, no, I'm not. This is what God has told me to do. He told me to come back to this church. or He told me to go to that person. What you think now is irrelevant. Now, just really think about it. You're going to put what you think on the same level as what God thinks. So who's in your life? That their opinion is on the same as God. You come up with somebody, let me know. None of you got them. But as long as you got that thinking in there, oh, I really value this person's opinion. Really? Well, he ain't done yet. You say, he ain't done yet? Nope, still got a little bit more. Repentance. Repentance is prompted by godly sorrow. A sorrow that we have violated the holiness of God 
with our actions, our words, and our thoughts. It's realizing I have dishonored you, God. And God is saying, if it's true godly sorrow, it will always follow with repentance. He says, that's my formula. If it's truly godly sorrow that I have violated your word, God, I have violated your thinking, I have violated your command. If I truly know that's where my sorrow is coming from, God is saying it will always follow repentance. If you're just sorrowful or remorseful or you're just sorry because you got caught or you're just sorry that you didn't get something, you have not reached that point of godly sorrow. Because it's still focused on what you're not getting or whatever. God is saying, you just sad. you just remorseful. You're not godly sorrowful. And he said, well, how do you know that? Because there's no repentance. It's no trying to repent. It just flows. So some of us say, well, I've been, I've been trying to repent of that sin for years. And God's answer would be, you ain't never been godly sorrowful over it. It might inconvenience you sometimes. It might upset you sometimes. But it ain't at the point where you know you're violating my holiness. My holiness isn't that serious to you. And we talk about nowadays, you know, in the world, it's always, you done disrespecting me. You done disrespecting me. Back about 15 years ago, you done disrespecting somebody because you done stepped on their shoe. You stepped on my shoe, man. Now you got people clowning. Once again, the, the, and sadly, some of them might even be believers. You, you got a new chicken sandwich coming out. You ain't never ate a chicken sandwich before. Okay. And now you're killing people in a line. You're killing somebody in a line over a chicken sandwich. Pitiful. But once again, we're more concerned about us being disrespected. We're more concerned about injustice being to us than injustice to being to God. So if you don't dealt with all the injustice that's going towards God, then you got time. Then you got time to be marching and protesting about the injustice that's been done to you. <clears throat> David comes and he hears Goliath talking all this mess. It wasn't, they weren't talking about David. Talking about his God. When laws and things are being passed that go directly against God's word, and you got believers standing up there cheering. And then, really? You sit up there standing when your state of Illinois passed the state, the law that's same sex and getting married. You're clapping when they say you can abort a child even in the ninth month. But somebody don't let you eat in a restaurant, now you're ready to boycott. Come on, come on. And you ain't gonna hear this from the pulpit because you know they're gonna be telling you the pulpit, you gotta write the boycott, you gotta write the boycott. Ain't nobody gonna disrespect you like that. Well, your number one concern about who's being disrespected is not you, God. Why are you not boycotting when those things are said and done? Why are you clapping? 
Why are you cheering? You hear some believers saying this is the best day in Illinois. Really? Then off they go to church. And the church just let them come in. Saw you on TV. Wonderful, wonderful job. Instead of calling them and saying, hey, what, what were you on TV? You know, the only thing I'm thankful for, you didn't mention South Suburban. <laughs> and I'm thankful you didn't say Pastor then. So that's why I'm listening sometimes. I don't don't mention <laughs> don't mention the church and don't mention Pastor Denny. If you want to look foolish, just be foolish out there by yourself. He says in the text, I have sinned against heaven before you. The Greek expression literally speaks of sinning into heaven. It may well suggest that he thought of his sins as a massive pile of guilt, like a mountain ascending towards heaven. Mm. Ezra in Ezra 9.6 says something similar, speaking on behalf of the, the, the children of Israel. And I said, oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. He said, I don't even feel comfortable coming on behalf of the children of Israel because our sins are so high, they are reaching heaven. When we pray in our churches, how often are we praying about the sins of even little small South Suburban reaching up into the heavens? Or are we talking about somebody getting healed, somebody getting a job, somebody getting this, and we haven't acknowledged all the sin that we're putting up in power? And have you ever thought of your pile that is reaching up to heaven? Or are you still busy about what is he going to give me next? Really, we done lowered stuff low. Low. And God is saying, this ain't nothing new. I already had it in my scripture. And we're now following the same thing and the alarm clock's going off and off and off and off and we just hear. So when you look at what would be some of the reaction of the people when they hear this story later on next week that this repentance was true and the Father forgave them. Some would hear it as a ray of hope. They would hear it and say, if God can redeem and forgive a child that has gone that low, there's even hope for me. But then there could be some other ones who had a reaction like the Pharisees. They would have said, there's no way this child could ever be forgiven. There's no way that this child could ever truly repent unless for the rest of their life they do everything possible for God. In a way they're going to earn their forgiveness. That's the reason why you're going to see this son who had been brought up with this thinking pattern, he starts going through his head what he needs to do in order for the father to forgive him. Because at this point, that was a way of thinking of the people. In order for you to get forgiveness, you had to work and earn it. Jesus is coming on the scene now and saying, you don't work and earn your forgiveness. You receive your forgiveness by confessing and repenting. So that might be a breakthrough for somebody here today. 
You might have been in there. I got, I got to keep, I got to keep trying. I got to keep doing right. I got to keep doing right. Because that's the only way God's going to ever forgive me. And God is saying, no, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to release when you confess and you repent. How many of us came here today realizing that it's a twofold thing? See, in most of our churches now, we're having a hard time even getting people to confess. <laughs> it, it, we, we do on somersaults when somebody even confess and acknowledge what I'm doing doesn't line up with scripture. We doing cartwheels. And God is saying, that's half the equation. You already know it's wrong. Now are you going to cease doing it? Uh, so now just start thinking in your life. I know some of you might think real hard. You're gonna, you might even have to do this. You got to think real hard because you, you ain't got too many things in your life to cease. See, with me, I ain't got to strain. Because I know there's many things in my life that God is saying you need to cease. But what's in your life? That God is saying right now the alarm clock's going off. And he's saying, you know what you're doing is wrong. Now are you ready now to repent? Um, I've been doing this all my are you ready to repent? I've had people throughout years, so don't try to figure out who it is, throughout years, counseling people and I say, Okay, you know this relationship here is not is not a biblical one. Well, Pastor, I, I can't get out of it because you know we didn't sign a, a lease together. I ain't got no money to have my own place. We got kids. Okay, okay. So I said, well, maybe the first step you can take to towards your repentance is how big is your house? Oh, we got upstairs and downstairs. We've been blessed. So you, God done blessed you to have a house where you can have a lot of fornication and stuff. But you, you, you've been blessed with this big house. So I said, now, why don't that one partner stay downstairs and you stay upstairs? But what are the kids going to say? Well, here's another chance of your repentance. Daddy and mommy have been sinning, sleeping together when we ain't married. And now we're beginning to take the steps to do what is right biblically. We're now in different floors. If we don't get married, we're going to be in different houses. And I got enough faith in my God that if I'm doing what he told me to do, you don't think he's going to provide you the means to have your own place? So then those individuals don't come back no more. Because they was waiting to hear some wise counsel from somebody saying, well, I can understand. I can, it makes financial sense to me. So let me say these last two and go. Let me, like what Pastor said, let me hit it and quit it. Indication of the truthfulness of the prodigal's repentance. His repentance was thoroughly thought through. He realized how egregiously he had sinned against his father. He could now see that his father had always been gracious and good. He finally acknowledged that he himself had been wrong. It was entirely his own fault. His own sin that brought him so low. Mm. That number four is the biggie. Because we always want to bring other people down into the pigsty. Yes. Mm. He confessed freely 
that he was not worthy of any more grace or favor. The alarm clock is going off today, my brothers and sisters. Godly, God desires for his children to cease our ungodly thinking and behavior because he desires to release his forgiveness, his healing. He wants to heal our spiritual wounds. But he cannot heal those wounds if I don't confess and repent of my part in the equation. He's not asking me to give an account for Wanda, and he's not asking Wanda to give an account for mine. We're not looking and saying, well, I was 51%. No, I was 80%. No, I was 99% at fault. No, you were at fault. You accept the part that you were at fault for. You don't look at the other person and say, they were a bigger reason. No, you in the pigsty because of you. And until you get that in your head and you're always looking for somebody else to blame, there's not going to be repentance. Because you're going to be still thinking somebody else did something worse than you. Last one scripture we always love to hear. Now you're going to hear it and you're going to say, Pastor Daniel even took my favorite scripture away. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Uh-oh. Humble themselves. That's what we just talked about. That's that broken wheel. He's already telling you, if you come to me and humble yourself, don't come here not acting like you ain't done nothing. Don't come here not ready to accept the sin that you done committed. Don't be ready to come here to confess what you've done wrong. Mm-mm. And pray. That's what we said. The difference between repentance and remorse. If I'm just remorseful, I ain't praying. I'm keeping a distance. But if I'm repentant, I'm willing to pray. And then it says, and seek my faith. I'm not trying to avoid you. I'm going towards you. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And turn. Mm. And turn from their wicked ways. Then, then now you just break it down. Then what comes after then? Once, what comes after the cease and the release? Then, then I will hear from heaven. You ain't going to hear from heaven if you're still in the pigsty. God's not obligated to hear you. All he hears is Charlie Brown. You can scream. You can speak in tongues. I do not hear you. Don't hear you. Because you still think you're going to go your way to get to me. I done told you how you get to me. I didn't ask for you to make a special edition. I didn't ask you to put a comma. He said, you do it this way. I don't care what you think is the way. And for some of us, that is mind-boggling. He doesn't care what I think. No! Mommy and daddy might have told you you was the top of the world when you was little. You are not. You're not. If God says this is the way it goes, that's the way it goes. He says, then I will hear from heaven. We'll forgive their sin. And we'll heal their land. So that's letting you know. Just confessing what you've done. You don't get the release of the forgiving and the healing. So if you want your house to have release blessings, he done told you how you get them. You don't get them by, well, if you pay your tithes, you're going to be blessed. 
All the foolish and nonsense that we done put in church and God says, I done made it as clear as possible. Told you what you need to do. And you keep coming up with different ways to do it. So if you want to be blessed, if you want to release him, then you got to look at your own life and say, what do I need to start ceasing doing? And each and every one of us know already. We got a top 10 list. Some of us got a top 20 list. Some of us got a top 30 list. Some of us got a top 40 list. He said, I ain't going to be able to ever get through this list. Take them as the Lord leads you to take them. More than likely, he ain't saying at 12, 15 today, you're going to knock out all 40 before the end of the day. But he is going to start putting on your heart. This one particular area, I'm ready to break you loose up. Are you ready to be broken? And then some of us have the nerve, why you pick that one? And God says, I picked the one that I wanted to pick. And do you trust me enough to let me do what I want to do with you? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we continue to travel through this marvelous book. And we thank you, Lord, for how you continually to speak to us and scream to us and let us know those alarm clocks are going off. And it's not an issue about trying. It's not an issue about thinking. It's an issue about doing that I am ready with your help to stop doing what I know is displeasing to you. To be honest enough to myself and with myself to say, I know I still have some enjoyment in doing this, but I can't allow that enjoyment to supersede being obedient to you. And it's time for me to be honest and real with you, God. that I need your help to cease this madness. For some of us, it's been years, some of us decades, some of us almost our whole spiritual lifetime. And God is saying, when are you going to love me enough to turn from your wicked ways? We know that the world is constantly trying to define what is wicked and what is not, but how dare we ever go to the world to give us a definition of what is wicked and evil when you have already told us in your word what is wicked and evil. So we don't have to do any deep thought process. We don't have to do any deep soul searching. It's right at the surface. It's at the basics. <coughs> We just use searching as an excuse for not doing what we know we're supposed to do. So Lord, as I even say this prayer, I'm not saying them or the, those people, I'm saying us. All of us got areas in our lives that you are screaming to us, stop it, stop it, stop it right now. And don't put it off any longer. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. And we say these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.